Hello and welcome to the Bits of Balance podcast, a place where health and wellness is talked about and viewed through more than just a physical lens, but an emotional, social, spiritual, and intellectual lens as well. Over here, we believe that health-promoting behaviors should add to your life rather than take away from it. I'm your host, Jacqueline Bett, a non-diet registered dietitian to be, a certified personal trainer, and an extreme ice cream enthusiast. In this podcast, you will hear special guests and myself share our journeys and how we are working to find balance in our own lives. We will also discuss ways to ditch diet culture and find food freedom. We'll also be diving into how to discover your own healthy relationship with exercise and ways to be at peace with your body. But most importantly, I hope for this podcast to inspire and motivate you to find your own balance while practicing wellness without obsession. So let's dive in and discuss some bits of balance. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bits of Balance podcast. So today's episode will run a little bit differently than usual, and I kind of want to have a little solo chat with you guys about how one diet for me led to my eating disorder. And if you've listened to episode number 15 titled My Eating Disorder Story, I explained there how I innocently went on a diet leading up to spring break when I was 15 years old. Obviously, if I knew the impact that this diet would have had on my mental health and would lead to the development of an eating disorder, I never, ever would have went on it. But now that I'm in a much better place in my recovery, I did some research as to why this may have happened to me. So while there probably were many predisposing factors that led to my eating disorder, like possibly some personality traits that I hold, like being a perfectionist, a very high achiever or even my environment or genetics, I wanted to understand more of the science about what actually happens to the brain when food is restricted. And naturally, because I love science and I am a bit nerdy, I did some research online and I finally feel like I'm putting the pieces together. After this episode, you will also understand why I'm so passionate about not recommending diets or restrictive eating to people as a future registered dietitian. Now, this is where the Minnesota starvation study comes into play. So this is a study that suggests that the act of restriction and extreme dieting impacts an individual's physical, social, behavioral, and psychological well-being. And to this day, the Minnesota Starvation Study is considered one of the most critical pieces of psychoeducation to share in the treatment of eating disorders. So right now, you're probably like, what the heck is this study and why should I care about it? Well, in November of 1944, um, a psychologist and a physiologist conducted a study at the University of Minnesota to identify the best type of rehabilitation diet for individuals who have experienced starvation. This was conducted because during World War II, um, hence why this was in 1944, starvation was very prevalent and they wanted to understand the best treatment option for these people that were in the war. And in order to test these types of refeeding, the researchers first had to conduct a study on on semi-starvation. This additional exploration provided information about the effects of semi-starvation on the mind and the body and really offered significant insight into symptoms related to anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa. So to further explain what this research study did, um, the protocol called for men to lose 25% of their normal body weight. So they spent the first three months of the study eating a normal diet of about 3,200 calories a day 
followed by a six-month semi-starvation of about 1,500 calories a day, and then a restricted rehabilitation period of three months eating two to 3,000 calories a day. And finally, an eight-week unrestricted rehabilitation period when there was no limits on caloric intake. And ultimately, throughout the experiment, the researchers measured the physiological, psychological changes, and many other things brought on by the near starvation. So during the semi-starvation phase, the changes were dramatic, and that's what we'll get into today. So beyond just the gaunt appearance of the men, there were many significant differences in their strength, their stamina, their body temperature, their heart rate, sex drive, and more. So the psychological effects were significant as well. So today I want to get into all of those things and explain how this has impacted my understanding of the development of my own eating disorder in the past. So today I'll be covering five main categories, I guess you could call them, and changes that were noticed in these men during the restrictive period and how I can relate this to my own personal experience. So the main categories are cognition changes, eating changes, behavior and personality changes, emotional changes, and finally physical changes. So first, let's begin with the cognition. So as you probably could have guessed, there was a significant difference in the themes of the participants' cognitions in this study. First off, compared to the start of the study, the participants were far more preoccupied with food when they were restricted. Food and eating became a focal point of conversation for them. They were reading about food, even dreaming about food and having daydreams about food. For example, um, it was seen that they would watch movies and the study's participants were recorded on commenting on the frequency of food and eating a lot. So some of the volunteers developed concentration issues as well due to their preoccupation with food. Additionally, their interest in food expanded into new habits of even reading cookbooks and collecting recipes. And three participants even changed their occupations to reflect their extreme interest in food and eating. So three became chefs and one went into the agricultural field. Isn't that super interesting? I remember constantly looking at pictures of food online and on social media when I was deep in my eating disorder and thinking to myself, I can't have that, but wow, that looks so good and appetizing. And that probably sounds super weird if this isn't something that you've ex experienced, but it definitely is the truth. Um, additionally, I also changed my entire major in college. So I was pre-PA and transitioned into dietetics, kind of like these men transitioning into becoming chefs. Thankfully, I now have a way different reason for wanting to become a dietitian. But still, it's something very interesting to think about looking back now. Now for category two, eating changes. So it was seen in this study that during mealtimes, participants were recorded to become possessive over their food. So they worried that others may try to eat their meals and they would even guard their food defensively with their elbows. And at mealtimes, the participants were recorded to have eaten all of their foods on their plate to the last crumb, even licking their plates clean. Some even became upset when the non-participants in the cafeteria, quote, wasted food. In addition to this, those that enjoyed gum started chewing gum to excess. So gum chewing actually became a health concern due to participants rapidly chewing two to three sticks at a time until their mouths became sore. 
So the researchers had to place a cap on the gum packages chewed per day to just one or two. Some even developed tobacco smoking habits because it provided some sort of relief from their hunger um, during this semi-starvation phase. Also during the rehabilitative phase, when these participants were eating more, more weird, I guess you could call them eating behaviors developed. So men started eating several meals in one sitting and they developed gastrointestinal upset and headaches as a result. So they experienced difficulties in reading their own hunger cues as well. And the participants described feeling hungrier and using binge eating and purging during their refeeding period. And even after five months of refeeding, they continued to use these behaviors and developed other body image concerns because probably the weight was coming back on, you know? And I don't relate to these eating changes quite as much. However, I do remember always, and I mean always chewing gum in high school because I think I found it online from some like stupid appetite hack source. I don't know. And let me tell you, gum is not food, does not have energy, and it's not going to satisfy your hunger. Also, a big thing I hear a lot from people is that they feel like they are binging or overeating at night or later in the day. And my first question to these people is, always, well, how much did you eat earlier in the day? Did you eat a sufficient breakfast and lunch? Because it is literally our body's survival mechanism to get in the energy that we need in a day. And this is why balanced meals and snacks throughout the day is so essential. And now for the third category, we have behavioral and personality changes. Many of the participants in the study were observed to be collecting food-themed items and even rummaging through garbage cans to find food. The participants developed an extreme distaste for wasting food. Um, Such behaviors have been observed in individuals with anorexia nervosa as well. Similarly, participants used methods to create the illusion that they had more food on their plates than in reality. So they started toying with their food, cutting it into smaller pieces, and making their meal consumption last for hours, which previously would have only lasted minutes. There was also a remarkable increase in the use of spices and salt to add flavor to meals. And lastly, participants who had mostly been extroverted in their social life prior to this study became isolated, and they described themselves as feeling socially inadequate. And they also reported a decrease in sex drive and interest of their volunteers. So to bring this back to my eating disorder and my own experience, I also felt the need to collect food and always make sure that I had enough, which sounds weird um, because my eating disorder did manifest as anorexia, which means that I really wasn't eating a lot and I actually feared some foods. However, I think that this does come down to that scarcity mindset, which I think I've talked about before. Again, it is our brain and body's survival mechanism to ensure that we have enough food when we are in that energy deficit and when we're not providing ourselves with enough nourishment. And just, wow, like our bodies are truly amazing and they really are just trying to keep us alive, which gives me so much more compassion for myself when thinking about this now. Now on to category four, which is emotional changes. So during the semi-starvation and the rehabilitative phases, participants recorded developing new anxiety and depressive symptoms that were not present at the beginning of the study. Especially during the semi-starvation period, some participants endorsed becoming more sensitive and argumentative with others. And over the first six weeks of the rehabilitation phase, 
many men reported feeling even more depressed than in the semi-starvation phase, especially those individuals in the group that were fed less calories in the beginning of the phase to test the refeeding strategies. So it was found that the only times that these participants showed positive emotional reactions were in response to discussing their weight, food, or hunger. I remember feeling so anxious and isolated and just irritable when I was deep in my eating disorder. And it harmed many of my relationships and even harmed my schoolwork because I couldn't focus properly. I didn't have the energy to spend time with friends and loved ones and all of that. Lastly, let's get into category five, which is the physical observations. Obviously, as you can probably assume, the participants' physical changes throughout the experiment were very significant. Not only had the participants' weight changed during the different stages of the study, they started to experience new issues with gastrointestinal discomfort, dizziness, headaches, decreased need for sleep, edema, hair loss, and cold intolerance. Even their basal metabolic rate, which is going to be the energy and calories that the body requires at rest, um, changed depending on the stage of the study. And by the end of the semi-starvation study, the volunteers' BMR had decreased by 40% from their baseline, which means that basically their metabolism had slowed down a ton. So it suggested that this was due to the lower caloric intake, which reduced the body's need for energy. Additionally, in the semi-starvation period, the volunteers' weight dropped by 25% and their muscle mass decreased by 40%. So I can actually pretty much relate to all of these things in the physical manifestation category. I remember feeling bloated every time I ate that gastrointestinal discomfort. I was constantly cold. I lost my period, which messed up my hormones. I lost a ton of muscle and even bone mass that I once had as a very strong athlete, which thankfully now I've been able to build that back up. But again, I can tell you that none of this is worth it. And overall, as a result of this study, many people have discovered a wealth of knowledge pertaining to the detrimental effects of starvation and restriction to the physical and psychological functioning of us. The men in the study were healthy physically and psychologically at the beginning of the experiment, but following it, the participants developed many symptoms similar to those of anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. So, wow. (laughs) I, I really don't know what to say besides wow, but that wraps up all five categories. So let's just take a moment to soak all of that in right now. And if you have dieted or you've struggled with an eating disorder, maybe some of that really resonated with you too, as I could relate almost every single category back to myself. And I remember in my eating disorder, I was ashamed of many of the habits and thoughts and believed that it was just me that was doing these things or feeling these things and that it was my fault. However, after researching this and understanding that my body and brain were actually just trying to use all of the mechanisms that they had to try to keep me alive and thriving, it's almost like a breath of fresh air to understand this. And if you're struggling, know that you are not alone in this. I also want to re-emphasize how harmful and exhausting diets can be in the long run. And disclaimer, this is not me saying that if you go on a diet, it's a bad thing and that you'll develop an eating disorder by any means. That's not what 
I want my message to be here. I just want to share my story and how my once innocent diet impacted me and my life because I want to prevent that from happening to anyone else because I know how dark of a place that I was in at one point because of it. Additionally, I now know that I cannot afford to restrict my food intake or even overexercise and things like that because I am prone to these things. And this is just another aspect that does keep me motivated in my recovery journey and helps me realize that more food is okay and gaining weight is okay and that it's actually so, so good for me. But anyways, that's probably enough um, science for today and enough of that one research study. But if this episode was interesting to you, or maybe you feel like you had a aha moment, I would love to chat with you more about it. So feel free to DM me on Instagram at Jacqueline Lives Well, and I would love to um, just talk to you more there and get to know you better. I love this community that I'm creating, and I do appreciate your support so much. And if you want to support me anymore, I would greatly appreciate if you left a rating or if you feel inclined to leave a review on my show. That would mean so much to me to really just help me share this incredibly important message with more people. And once again, we'll chat soon.